Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Verse by Verse. And we are coming on early this morning, or actually we're going to be uploading to Apple Podcasts very early this morning. And today we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. And today we're going to try something we haven't done for a while, and that is to try to get through two chapters. So we're not going to dawdle uh, in one particular section, but we are going to move rather quickly this morning because actually 15 and 16 are not really lengthy chapters. I say that every week and I end up going 45 minutes. We're going to try to shorten that up this morning. So let's pray. Father, we come as we study this morning. Lord, I just ask you to help us to glean from your word that which you would have for us. Teach us. We thank you for the principles that you're going to share with us. And I pray that lives will be changed as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing now, and Jesus, uh, as we ended last time in chapter 14, uh, he left the he, he left the dinner that he was, and he, we ended 14 by he evidently was walking, and large crowds were following him, and that's where he made his statement regarding if you're not willing to forsake father, mother, son, daughter, etc., etc., you can't be my disciple. And then he gives an example. Two examples. Uh, one example of someone who intends to build a tower, can't finish, and someone, a king, uh, that intends to go to war, and he says, okay, I can't really handle this with 10,000, so he desires conditions of peace. The point is he, he wants us to consider and count the cost. And there is a cost. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I assure you there is a cost uh, in serving him. It's not easy. And uh, so you just need to understand that if you're going to do that today, um, it's it's more than just uh, it's it's more than just well you know what I'll just, I think I'll get up and uh, become a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is by faith. That's true. I'm doing something else as I'm talking, which never works. But anyway. Um, Yes, it is by faith, but just understand that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, uh, it, there is going to be a cost involved in doing that. And we in the West don't really understand that as do our brothers and sisters overseas in other parts of the world that pay a tremendous price for serving the Lord. And so we'll see that as we go. Okay, now chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all of the... Now notice there's two groups of people here that are going to listen to the word of God. Publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now he's not talking to the religious people. Although I'm sure there are religious people there. Such as the Pharisees. But the, you know, the, the main group he's talking to are people who are lost. People who need the Lord Jesus Christ. People who know that they're sinners in need of a savior. And folks listen... There are some people that God cannot help today. You say, wait a minute, I thought God could help everybody. Well, no, that's not really true because people that do not realize their need of Christ and do not um, understand that they need to come to a place where they are in need, there's not much God can do for them, unfortunately. And these people, they know they're sinners, publicans, tax collectors, those that have stolen uh you know, by so many means, and of course, publicans and sinners, that includes everybody, they're hearing the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to talk about finding the lost in this chapter. Well, also the Pharisees in verse 2 are there, as we said before. And the Pharisees and scribes 
murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. So we see that they are there, the religious people, and we have the, I call them the church people in verse 2, legalists, you know, well, he's with sinners. And notice what they say. He receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now you need to understand, back in that day, uh, you just need to understand that eating was very important in Bible days. If you ate with someone, what you were doing, basically, you weren't just sharing a meal. You were in camaraderie. Okay, I got that word out early this morning. With those people, you were really saying, you know, I identify with these people. And that's what the legalists and the church people are murmuring against here. Now, let's talk about the lost sheep because this is going to be very important. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you? He's speaking to the religious people. He wants to teach them something about why he has come. Uh, Having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost. That's the key word here. Until he find it. Now, so are we talking about people uh, who are lost getting saved? Are we talking about backsliders? He makes it very clear in the following verses. you got to read the whole thing in context. And when he hath found it, that meaning the lost sheep, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So he carries it. That's a picture of intimacy. He rejoices. Verse 6, And when he cometh home, he calleth together, notice this, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. God, God gets excited when people get saved. The Bible says there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. We'll read that in just a minute. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say unto you that likewise... Joy shall be in heaven over one, and and here's explains it here. One sinner, one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So it's very clear here. He's talking about sinners getting saved. God rejoices over people who come to a place where they realize I am lost. Now, let me just say this. You know, so many times I've heard this, you know, in testimonies. Uh, you know, I was going in life and I was doing this and I was doing that and I found the Lord. Well, okay, um, you didn't find the Lord. He found you because you weren't looking for Him. That's very clear in this passage. He is out seeking the lost. Okay, we're not seeking. Before we got saved, before I got saved 40 years ago, Forty and a half years ago, uh, you know, I wasn't seeking after God. God began to work in my heart, and I began to realize, okay, there's something missing in my life. I need something. My life is messed up. I've often told the story when my mom got me the tapes of the New Testament, and I, you know, I was a 15-year-old boy, ninth grader. You know, you don't go back to ninth grade and say, well, I got a Bible for Christmas, especially if you go to public school, you know, and. Uh, but I would take those tapes and listen to them at night. And it began to dawn on me, something is desperately wrong with my life. That wasn't me. That was God seeking after me. 
And so he, he speaks of this here. So he goes and he finds that sheep, brings it home, and there's rejoicing. And as he says, when one sinner repents over the ones who don't need any repentance, you're saved. Yes, God loves you if you're saved this morning. You're in the family of God. We rejoice in that. But he is out seeking the lost. Now let's read on here. Let's talk about another parable, the lost coin. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle. Okay, she lights a candle. She does everything she can. Light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find find it. Um, you can just see the picture here. I hate to lose things. It just it bothers me to no end to lose something. I know it's here somewhere. Can't find it. And uh, and so, you know, you see this woman there. She's sweeping the house. She, she's going to take up the rugs and, and just do whatever she needs to do to find that lost coin. Notice what happens. And when she had found it, meaning the coin, uh, found it, she calleth, notice this, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. And so we see, you know, here uh, another situation where the loss has been found and there's joy once again. Verse 10, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, it didn't say that the angels rejoice. That's interesting to me. You have to read what the Bible actually says. I could write a book a complete book on what the Bible really says about fill in the blank, whatever subject you want to talk about. You know, so many times I think we get mixed up with what we think the Bible teaches and what the Bible actually teaches, okay? But that's for another podcast. Um, but no, it is interesting here that the angels do not rejoice. It just says the presence. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now, uh, why is that? Well, I think it's very simple. Angels do not know what it is to be lost. Therefore, they don't know what it is to be found. And so they don't understand like we as lost sinners. See, that's the reason I believe God works his plan through people. God chose in his sovereignty for people who were lost and then were saved. And we can say it like this, lost and found to give the gospel to a lost world. Because we can do it with meaning. We can do it with purpose. Hey, I was a lost sinner. I was on my road to hell. And we're going to talk about hell in this podcast today, too later on, by the way. Don't turn me off now, okay? And I was on my road to hell, lost, but God reached down His hand of mercy and saved me. We have a testimony. And you do too if you're saved. Angels don't have that. First Peter tells us, I think it's First Peter, tells us that you know, the angels don't quite understand the plan of God. They desire to look into all of this. Now, let's talk about the prodigal son, because I think this is a different set of circumstances. And there's been much debate over whether or not this boy was lost or saved. And I think we're dealing with two saved people here. Okay, I really do. The prodigal son. Well, that gives us an indication. He is a son. Let's start reading in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Okay, so that begins to show us here in a picture uh, what we're talking about. This boy is, yeah, he will say he's lost but is found. Okay, 
but just understand the context is different here. He is a son in a family. Okay, you've got sons and daughters in the family of God. So this man had two sons. Now notice this. And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In other words, I want my inheritance. And he divided unto them, meaning his two sons, unto them his living. So, you know, he, he gives his inheritance to his son before he dies. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So this boy decides, you know what, I don't like being home for whatever reason. The Bible doesn't tell us. We could you know, just sit here and imagine why. He decides, I'm out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. I just don't like it. Okay. Uh, so he takes his inheritance and he spends it. He wastes it with... The Bible calls it riotous living. Uh, he's he's obviously not, you know, very wise here. Uh, he lives like the devil, basically. Okay, and when he had spent all, there arose a, a a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. See, he didn't realize what was coming. Oh man, I had spent all my money, living in sin, living away from God, away from the Word, away from the, the you know the Lord. And now I'm broke and I'm hungry too, by the way. And he went, now notice this, and joined himself, he made that decision, and joined himself to a citizen of that country. What country? The lost country. He joined himself to a citizen, not of the church, not of the people of God, but to that country. Notice what he did. And, and he sent him into his fields to feed what? Swine. Now remember, he's talking to Jewish people and this was very offensive to Jewish people. It's basically a son deciding to leave the father's house and live in a pig pen. That is what we've got here. Okay, This kid, he's a son, he's in the family, that's obvious, but for whatever reason he decides, you know what, I'm not going to live for my father anymore for now. I'm going to go do my thing, sow my wild oats, and you know what that happens today? God's people do that, don't they? You know what? God's people can do. And some of you now are thinking, ah, oh, you know, I wouldn't do that. You know, I'm I'm in the church. I'm in, you know. Hey, listen, you don't know what you will do. A, I, I, I you know, I, I've said this a number of times. A saved person can do anything a lost person can do, except one thing, and that is die and go to hell. You still live in a sinful body. I still live in a sinful body. It is very easy for us to get in the pig pen. That's where this boy is now. So notice his condition. He's living in the pig pen, somewhere where God did not want him to be. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. He's down to eating pig food. He's not eating the bread of God and God's word anymore. He's eating pig food. And no man gave unto him. When you, listen, when you willfully make the decision not to uh, live for God and you decide to live for this world, you will get to a place sooner or later where no man will give unto you. Because this world doesn't care about you. You think it does. You've been offered. You know, some of you listening, the devil's made you a promise. You know what? If, if you'll just live like the rest of the world, you will survive. You will do well. You'll get a better paying job. You might even get a promotion. You'll make more friends. And you know what? At first, that may happen. 
But after a while, when you live in the pig pen and you get down to eating slop, listen, it wasn't meant for God's people to eat slop. It really wasn't. But some of you are living there this morning and you've been there a while and nobody's giving unto you and you're beginning to realize, wait a minute, I, mean, I am in deep trouble because of my choices. Don't blame God for where you are. You're the one who made the choices. This boy's father didn't make him leave home. This boy's father didn't make him make the choices he made. He chose on his own to do that. And when he came to himself, and that's where, you know, that's what needs to happen to all of us this morning. When he came to himself, oh man, how did I get in this place? He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? You know what? Even back home, even the servants are living better than I'm living. And you know, that's what happens. We get away from God by choice. We decide to live a certain way. And it gets to a point where we think, well, you know what? Even God's lowest servants are living better than I'm living. I'm living in this pig pen. So, I will, verse 18, he makes another choice. Okay, he's already made one choice. But guess what? Thank God he makes another choice. I will. Okay, I will. He makes a, a choice. I will arise and go to who? Go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And see, that's where we fall short this morning. We're not willing to say we've sinned. We're not willing to say we've sinned. So let's read this verse 19. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as as one of thy hired servants. Now listen, he didn't say I won't be a son. He said I'm not worthy to be your son. Okay? We're not talking about loss of salvation here. We're talking about a boy who has sinned against what he knows is right. And his attitude is, you know what? I don't deserve even to be in the family, much less anything else. And really, that's you know, that's us today. We don't deserve to be in God's family, really. Where do we get the idea that we deserve to be in God's family? Well, I deserve this and I deserve that. No, you don't. You and I don't deserve anything from God. And he arose. So he, he all right. So he makes a decision. I will. In his mind, he makes that choice. Then he actually gets up and does something about it. And he arose and came to his father. But notice the attitude of the father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I love that. That indicates the father had been looking for him. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He welcomes him back. See, that's what God will do for us today if we're far from God. Okay, you're just one step. You say, well, you know, I've, I've lived away from God for five years, ten years. I'm ten years down the road. I used to serve God. I went to church on a regular basis. I read my Bible on a regular basis. I used to be you know, this in the church. And I got away from God. I'm, you know, I'm living in sin. And now, you know, I'm bankrupt spiritually. Oh, I may have the you know the better this and the better that, but I'm bankrupt. I'm living on pig slop. Well, I got news for you this morning. The good news is you're just one step away from getting back home. That's what this boy did. He rose, he went home. 
And the son said unto him, this would be a type of prayer, Father, I have sinned. We don't hear that today. We, you know, we, we don't hear, we have people giving you all, all kinds of excuses, but this boy just lays it out. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. Now see, that's important. We need to agree with God that we've sinned. Don't, don't give God excuses. Well, you know, God, the reason I did this, blah, blah, blah. No, God wants us to agree with him that what we did was wrong. That's what it means to confess sin. Okay, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. Okay, God knows we did it. That, that's not all that's involved here. It's agreeing with God that I have sinned against your principles, against your, what is wrong in your sight is wrong in my sight. That, that's what we're saying. And see, we're really mixed up on that today as a society. We're doing that which is right in our eyes, like they did in the book of Judges. And we're not doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And so this boy says, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's his attitude. That's what ought to happen. But the father said to his servants, notice this, bring forth, first of all, the best robe. Robe of righteousness in Christ. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. That's the sign of royalty. And shoes on his feet. This kid was barefoot. Had nothing. Lost his clothes even. Lost his shoes. I mean, he lost everything. And bring hither. Now watch this. And bring hither the fatted calf. And kill it. And let us what? Eat and be merry. Here's that eating again. Let's eat and be merry. Let's celebrate. God celebrates. Yes, he celebrates when saved people get lost, but he also celebrates when his children get right with him and come back to him. Now we have, well, verse 24. Okay, this is where a little, you know, people get mixed up. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I still say this is dealing with someone who's saved because um, he, he was a son to start with. And the Bible says, and they began to be married. So they, they're, okay, they're throwing a party. Now, all is not well in the house. I wish I could say they had a great time, you know, and, and, and he went on and so on and so forth. That's not what happened. Now his eldest son, the other brother, Okay, now pay attention, church, because this is some of you that are in churches today and you really haven't, you know, gotten away from God and you're going to pass judgment on those who have. Okay, so pay attention. Now his eldest son was in the field and, now watch this, as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard, now watch this, he heard music and dancing. He hears a party going on. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother, okay, so see, we're talking about a family here. Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And you would think at this point, wow, man, that's great, my brother's back home, praise God, been praying for him for five years, and but man, he's back in, well, that's not what happens here. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. So this is a brother. He's angry because the other kid's finally back home and his father receives him. 
And he answering, now watch this, answering and said to his father, Lo, these men, now watch this, lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. And all of that may be true. Some of you are in churches, you're serving the Lord, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And there have been people that have been backslid on God, they lived in the world, but you're doing what you're supposed to do. And you're mad now because they're back. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You know, Doesn't he sound like a brat, basically? He really does. But as soon as this thy son... Okay, now he's not his brother. He's thy son. Thy son was come, which hath... Now watch what he did. Devoured thy living with harlots. Interesting. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now wait a minute. How did this boy... He didn't even know he was home, so he had no communication with him. How did he know he was sleeping with harlots when he was out there? Someone has pointed out that this boy actually, you know, the oldest, reveals what his heart truly wanted. Well, you know, your other son goes out and lives with prostitutes and all that. And oh, Wait a minute, you didn't know he was, what he was doing. You know, it's interesting, out of the mouth the heart speaketh. And some of you this morning, you're, you're living for God. You're in the church, you're doing what you're doing, but in your heart, you want to do things that people who backslid are actually doing in your heart. You want to do those things. You, you, you've got some issues, too, to deal with this morning. And he said unto him, Son, still a son, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Do, 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 do you not realize all that God has belongs to us this morning? All that I have is thine. It was meat. It was necessary. It was meat that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother, still a family, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Boy, this is so critical here that we see this. Um... Wow, this is amazing. Now, let's move on to Luke 16, because I said we're going to try to cover two here this morning. Uh, Jesus is still teaching here. And he said also unto his disciples. Now, this is just a number of things he's going to teach on here. Okay, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So we, uh, all right, So now we see a steward here. He's wasted his goods, and he called him and said unto him, How is it that I heard this of thee? Give an account of thy uh, of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So this guy gets fired, basically. Jesus telling this story about this man. Then the steward, then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I'm, I'm getting fired. I, I, I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. Uh, getting fired is not pleasant. 
being dismissed from your job, I'll say it that way, is not pleasant. I've been there before for different reasons, okay? I've been in that situation. It's not fun. And so this is the parable here of the unjust steward. God's going to say some things about this. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he says, okay, you know, I, I've got to do something here. I'm getting fired from my job. So, I mean, this guy was street smart. I got to do something. So he called, he called every one of his lords, debtors, unto him. Now watch this. And said unto, unto the first, how much owest thou unto my lord? And he said, an hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down, uh, sit down quickly, and write fifty. So he's going to come up with a scheme now to save some money. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. That's eighty. Fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Well, the children of this, now notice this, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So Jesus here, what is he doing in these eight verses? He's not, he's not teaching that we can scheme and you know try to, what he's doing here, he's saying this. He's saying this guy was in trouble and He's, he's teaching us about the ways of the world, basically. And sometimes it is true that, you know, that people that are not saved, they are in some ways, in some ways, wiser than God's people as far as the ways of this world are concerned. Um, he says here in verse 9, where I say unto you, make, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when ye fail they may receive you everlasting habitation some have suggested okay have asked the question is Jesus saying that we should uh, make friends with the world even those that are lost so we can get by in this world that perhaps may be he that is faithful in that which is least and that's the real lesson he's teaching here is faithful also in much and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much and then of course in verse 11 he brings it to an end here if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon who will commit to your trust the true riches uh, he's speaking here of being accountable and you know, we all of us as God's people are going to be accountable to Him one day. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So he's teaching a couple lessons here, not the least of which is faithfulness. Everything that we have today belongs to God, not us. And we're stewards of what He's given us. He says, No servant can serve to two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you got to make a choice 
Ye cannot serve God and mammon, he says. Verse 14. Now, here's another situation. He, he comes up here. Uh, he's teaching on and the Pharisees. Also, notice this. Uh, who were covetous. Heard all these things. And they, now watch, they derided him. So, you know, he's speaking of those Pharisees, the religious leaders that love the things of this world. Those are the ones he's talking to. Verse 15. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. And we've made that comment over and over and over again. God knows our hearts. We can justify ourselves. God knows our hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. How true that is. The law and the prophets, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. So he speaks here of the eternality of the word of God. Uh, he makes a comment in verse 18, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away uh, from her husband committeth adultery. Now, here again, this is just a hodgepodge of teaching of different things he's teaching about here uh, with this group of people, these Pharisees, so on and so forth. Now, verse 19, we're going to conclude with this section here in the chapter. Some have seen this as a parable. I don't believe this is a parable. I, I, I utterly reject that. I believe this is a true story and for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're, uh, the one main reason I believe it's a true story is because he gives names of people here. He leaves one name out and I think there's a very reasonable explanation for that. Let's read this verse 19. There was a certain rich man, we don't know his name, which was clothed in purple. Purple is a sign of royalty, a sign of wealth, and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Okay, we know his name. Named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. So you can just see this man laying there and desiring to be fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, just to give a little comfort. That's all, you know, that's all the comfort he had. So why didn't Jesus mention the name of this rich man? I think the reason is in verse 22. Watch this. And it came to pass that the beggar died. So no one knows the beggar. He has no family, no friends, no nothing. He's just a beggar. He dies. Now watch what happens here and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, this speaks of what happens to the believer at death. And by the way, this guy didn't go to heaven because he was poor. He went to heaven because he trusted in God. He trusted the Lord as his personal Savior at some point. Okay? When you die... You're a believer in Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you die, 
to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will be escorted by the angels into the presence of God. That's amazing. Now watch this. The rich man also died and was buried. He had a funeral and that was the end of it. Uh, not quite. Nope. Verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. So we're going to talk about hell for just a minute. We're going to talk about eternity. What's it like in eternity? This is a death experience that these two people have experienced. You know, I, I've read all the books about near-death experiences. I'm not prepared to, you know, talk about the integrity of those accounts. Uh, I'm prepared to talk about what Jesus taught about it, okay? Let's just do it that way. I think we're safe if we stick with Jesus. Because he's the one who knows about death more than anybody because he's actually been there. He created everything. So let's stick with Jesus this morning. Okay, how about that? Verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. So first of all, hell is a real place. This man went to hell. He's there. He's there now. Now that's why I don't think Jesus mentioned his name. It could have been, could have been possibly, I'm guessing, it could have been that maybe some of his family were there. So he didn't say, okay, you know, John, he went to hell. Knowing his family, you know, his wife or kids will be there. Okay. You just remember old John, now he's in hell. No, no, he didn't do that. He said there was a rich man, he died. It could have been any rich man. Uh, so this is a real story here. So this guy's in torments. Hell is a place of torments, plural, many torments. Now watch what happens here. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I think people in hell can see people that are comforted in heaven. They have a sense. They know. They can see what they rejected. They can see what they lost. They can see that which they turned down in this life. That's what this man is seeing. Now notice this. And he cried. Hell is a place of weeping. Jesus talks about this over and over. Hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he cried and said, so this man is able to talk in hell. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Hell is a place of no mercy. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. That speaks for itself. That's what hell is like. It is a literal place. It's not a figure. It's not an allegory. Hell is a real place this morning. I utterly reject the idea that these verses speak of just an allegory of a condition. People say, well, you know, hell is just a condition. No, it is a place where people go when they die without Jesus Christ. Many of us are willing to believe in a place called heaven that is real but we're not willing to believe in a place called hell that is real just as well verse 25 but Abraham said so there's communication here son remember that thou in thy lifetime okay so this man has a memory if you die without Jesus Christ you will have a memory you will remember all the things he says remember Thou receivest thy good things, and Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. You will have a memory in hell. If you die and go to hell, you will remember every single time you heard the gospel and you turned it down. You will remember this podcast. If you, if you 
die and go to hell. You remember this podcast. You'll hear my voice for all of eternity begging you to come to Jesus Christ. You're going to remember this podcast forever and forever and forever. Notice this. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. In other words, there's no escape from hell. Once you're there, you're there. Okay? You can't pray your loved ones. I hate to say this, okay, really. But you can't pray your loved ones out of purgatory. There is no purgatory. The Bible does not teach purgatory. That is heresy. When a person dies without Jesus Christ, they go to hell, they stay there. There's not anything you can do. Nothing I can do. You can you know you can't pray enough, you can't pay enough. And see, that's where the idea of purgatory came. It was a money racket. The teaching on purgatory was and is a money racket. Well, if you pay enough money, we'll get you out of purgatory. It's all a money racket, a religious money racket. And Jesus makes it very plain. There's absolutely no escape from hell. Then he said, okay, so there's still communication going on. So he's got torment. He's got literal torment. He talks. He cries. But, but notice verse 27. He reasons. There's reasoning in hell. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, Okay, so he reasons. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place. See, hell's a place. This place of torment. Okay, all of a sudden this guy wants to be a soul winner. He lived his whole life, didn't care about God, didn't care about them, but all of a sudden he wants to be a soul winner. Boy, if I just had another chance, I'd win souls to Jesus, man. I, hey, I can't do it, but you go do it, brother. You, you, you go out there and you tell my five brothers. He has concern now. He didn't have concern, but he does now, but it's too late. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they've got the word of God. That's all they had back in that day. They have the word of God. They don't need testimonies, okay? And he said, Nay, Father, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And we hear that today. Well, you know what? If, if, if you just listen and read all the books on hell and listen to what they say, hell is real, you know, people went there and you know, they spent 20 minutes in hell. And Man, if they could just hear that testimony, people would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. No, they wouldn't. The issue is not all the books people write today. The issue is the Word of God. If you don't hear the Word of God, you're not going to repent. He says it in verse 31. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, the Word of God, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. You could actually bring someone, I, I could bring someone on this podcast and interview them and they could tell you all about how they spent 30 minutes in hell and what they experienced and this and that, tell you all the graphic scenes. But if you don't believe the word of God, you will not be saved. And listen to me, in 2024, and I want to you know, promote this, in 2024 the issue is still the word of God. 
in 2024, I don't care our modern society, it's still the Bible that people need to hear and people need to believe. And I trust you will. So how do I get into the family? Well, it's as simple as this. It's so simple, most people miss it. A, are you willing to admit you're a sinner? Are you willing to admit to God you're a sinner? Are you willing to admit that Romans 3.23 is correct? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of what God has set out for us. We, we, we miss the mark. And we deserve that penalty that God must put on us. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift that you must receive. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means put your faith in Him and Him alone for salvation. That's what it means. You're putting your faith in Christ. You're not just believing the facts of the gospel. You're actually placing your faith in Him and Him alone and then call upon Him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I invite you this morning. Will you call upon Him? Right there where you're listening to this podcast, will you just bow your head and ask the Lord to save you? Admit to God that you're a sinner. Admit to God that you deserve hell. But you believe that His Son Jesus died in your place. And you're willing to believe that and accept that. And friend, I'll tell you, if you'll do that this morning, the Bible says you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For 2,000 years, He's been saving sinners. Let there be rejoicing in heaven this morning or whenever you listen to this podcast because you have come to Christ. Those of you that are saved, don't be like the older brother and the prodigal son. Rejoice when people who are saved and they get out of the will of God and backslide, they come back. Don't be a Pharisee. Rejoice with them. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to take this word Use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. I said I was going to be move quickly. Well, I guess I sort of did, even though it's been 45 minutes. We did two chapters today, 46 minutes, whatever. We did two chapters. We'll come back on Sunday morning, and uh, we'll get into Luke 17. Until then, God bless you.